feel about yourself. Yep. All right. Welcome episode 39 of the Being There Done Map podcast. Sean Bell, thank you very much for joining me. How are you doing today, mate? I'm well, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Um, and just to get started, I had my um my girlfriend obviously is a, a bit of a pregnancy brain or what do they call it? Pregnancy brain, I think they call it. And I told her numerous times who I'm having on today and, and all of that. And when I was setting up, she asked me yet again um, who I'm having on. And I said, um, Sean Bell. And she goes, what does he do for the third time? And I said, well, since I've already told you three times, I can't. It's such a big body of work and so little time to tell you. I just said, you run a lot. Is that fair, fair enough <laughs> um, explanation? That is a very fair explanation, yeah. <laughs> uh, so just for anyone who doesn't know who you are or um, or what you do, or just give us a little bit of a elevator pitch, probably a one-minute little paragraph on who you are and what you've been done, what you've been doing. Yeah, sure thing. Thank you, mate. So, yeah, I'm an ultramarathon runner, a keynote speaker and an entrepreneur. Um, but, yeah, we're, while we're here, I guess we'll mostly be talking about running. So, um, I'm training currently to run from Cairns to Melbourne for Make-A-Wish, which is 28 days from today, uh, which is so exciting. So, um, that is Monday, April 11, I start that journey and that campaign's called 60 for 60 for 60. And what that means is running on average 60 kilometers a day for 60 days to raise $60,000 for Make-A-Wish. So, uh, it's a very, very exciting journey. Um, slightly terrifying, but also very exciting and one that I've been preparing for about five years for now. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. I've done a number of feats, which I'm sure we'll delve into as well. It's crazy because one of the things that I love to, um, love people getting on this podcast is to kind of get, well, what intrigues me most about the people I have on the podcast is that people who do extraordinary things and then able to push through the mind and get through the body, which obviously probably one of the biggest things and then 60 for 60 for 60 is is obviously one of those things how do you how does it kind of if you had to start from like a real low base and build up to it because obviously you don't just jump into it straight away where was your first your first introduction into the longer form of running yeah my first marathon was October 2017, the Melbourne Marathon. And um, I think for a lot of people, the marathon is that bucket list item. And it can go for many people one of two ways. You either tick it off and you're happy, you know, you've achieved your goal, which is amazing in itself, or it's the start of your journey. And I've I've met a lot of people who've run that first marathon and then that's just kick-started a, you know, ultra running career. And so that was what happened with me. I uh, ran my first marathon October 2017, absolutely loved it. And prior to that, I'd always been a footballer. So I played um, just okay. Aussie rules football for a local club here called the Vermont Eagles uh, in the Eastern Football League in Victoria. And um, yeah, I loved my footy, played from when I was six till I was 19 years old. But it was really just achieving that first marathon. And then I was like, you know what? I love that so much. This is what I'm doing now. And so from that, finishing uh, I guess from when I crossed the finish line I was like this is what I'm doing and I decided that I'm going to get a coach and I'm going to go all into running and see what I can achieve with that and uh, then it was 15 months later of hard training but 15 months later I towed the start line for my big campaign which was 50 marathons in 50 days. Oh my goodness so your first marathon did you just kind of go in um, underprepared like you didn't train real you just came off the base of of your footy training? 
Yeah, it's an interesting one, um, to be honest, because though 2017, I was in the under-19s and I was the captain of our footy team and uh, we were on top of the ladder. We actually went undefeated, didn't lose a game, ended up winning the premiership, which was amazing. Um, However, it put me in a pretty tough position. And the reason I say that is because I have always loved footy. And yet for some reason, even though when we weren't losing games I wasn't as fulfilled playing footy that year as I had been in previous years and I so on the weekend I was like if I wasn't playing footy say we had a buy round for example I'd go out and do a long run and that put me in a really tough (laughs) position because I'm the captain who should be you know fully focused on footy telling everyone to dive into footy and when we had a buy round or I remember we we finished on top of the ladder so we had the first week of finals off and then we started our campaign in the second week of finals and I went and did a 25k long run because I knew that three weeks after the season I was doing the Melbourne Marathon so I did a 20k run a 25k run and a 32k run but that was it in prep for um, the Melbourne Marathon outside of you know your normal weight training and I guess running that you're doing through football. Did you found that they were competing against each other because obviously well you might want to know this I have a background in strength and conditioning and then you got those longer distance running and then you got the shorter base of, of football did you feel like they were conflicting each other in your I guess your physiology uh, a little bit not as much as as much as I thought I would have thought and I think what I found very different to where I'm at now is I was a lot heavier than I had that real footy build um, you know, I lived in the gym like so many footy boys do and was very upper body dominant. And, um, you know, my body has changed a lot over the past few years of running. So I think uh, there was some things that were probably beneficial, you know, the short sprints and, and high intensity efforts that you do at football, well, that helps you maintain your pace with running. So um, look, that was that was beneficial. I think having a bit of speed work in there and my first marathon, you know, I went in and was able to do that in three hours, 28, which is just under five minutes a K. So like I was absolutely stoked to do that um, with the little amount of prep that I did in terms of specific running. Yeah. One of the things that makes it even crazier for me to even fathom, because I don't, well, my longest running, I'll do like shorter base interval sort of stuff, like one minute run, two minute runs, but being able to consistently hold, you know, running for 25 K straight. Did you, was there an issue there for you? Cause obviously a lot of footy running, but then transitioning into that longer runs. Did, it, did you have a mental block they had to kind of break through or was it just you always found longer distance running easier? Yeah, I think I've always I've always enjoyed long distance running, not nothing of that length. So 2016, a year prior, I did a 15K fun run and I think I really loved that experience. And, um, you know, growing up, running was always something I enjoyed, but I think more so like most people, it was just something to clear my head, to get a bit of you know time by yourself, go out, feel creative. Um, and for me, running at the time wasn't like it is now. I mean, now running is like a meditative experience. I'm sure you speak to any ultra runner, they'll say the same thing. Um, but back then it was more just if I felt stressed, if I felt sad, let's put the shoes on, go for a run. And so it was really just that tool to change my state. Um, and what happened was, So, as I said, I played from when I was six until I was 19 years old at the Vermont Eagles. And 2016, a year prior to that 2017 season um, and the year of the marathon, I lost a footy friend and teammate. He was 18 years old, healthy, went to bed and didn't wake up. And, And to this day, they still don't know why or how he passed away. He just went to bed healthy and didn't wake up. So... 
that absolutely crushed me and, and my teammates changed my entire life. And I think I started running more um, because of the sadness that came from that. And then what I found was that mental strength that you spoke about, I was able to actually hold on to running, you know, 25 kilometers, 32 kilometers in the training runs, probably better than I would have thought. And I think it was largely due to thinking about my teammate and getting that extra inspiration. Oh, wow. So going on from there, you, you spoke about you had 50, was it 50 marathons in 50 days? Was that, was that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so as I said, the teammate I just spoke about, his name was Joey and I, um, it's surprising to a lot of people because we only knew each other for nine months. It was his first year in our footy team in 2016, which means we would have met November pre-season of 2015. And then he, you know, he passed away at the end of July, 2016. So I knew him for a period of nine months, but I always say to people, it's not how long, you know, someone it's about the impact they have on your life. And he was that sort of guy, a very special person and just, you know, huge smile handshake for every single person he met. And, uh, we shared a love and a bond over the Richmond footy club. So that was 80% of our conversations, the Tigers. And so, um, you know, it was, a, yeah, very, very tough to, to lose him. And um, I think it yeah, had such, a, such an impact on my life. So, so you said, yeah, you finished your first marathon and then you 15 months of training. And then you yep. went in and you attacked the 50, 50 marathons in 50 days. How much <laughs> yeah. of a, Value or sorry, we go from the start. Does it the training? How much of your training changed from when you went into going for that? How much? How do you train to do fifty marathons in fifty days? Look, heaps changed. Um, so I was at uni as well, studying a bachelor of physical activity and health science, and uh, I in twenty eighteen when I got really invested in running, I. Um, would I live 21k from uni so a half marathon distance away so I drive to my mate's house the night before with my bag laptop change of clothes food for the day um I'd he'd take my bag on the train with him he'd take two bags I'd run 21ks to uni have a quick shower and go to class and I'd do that three days a week and that was just what I thought was what was required in order to run you know what I was planning on doing which was 50 marathons in 50 days and then I was it wasn't until end of August 2018 that I reached out to a girl called Sam Gash and any of your listeners that watch Survivor will know her she's actually on Survivor right now um, but she's an amazing ultra runner ran from uh, run across India for World Vision and it was something like 77 marathons in 77 days um, and so I'd listened to her on a few podcasts and absolutely loved her story. And I thought I've got nothing to lose. She's, she's done something similar to what I'm hoping to achieve. And I'm just going to ask her if there's any advice she can give me through social media. So I messaged her and was absolutely blown away by her response. So turns out she lived in the Dandenong Ranges, which is 20 minutes from me. Um, and oh. so she's like two weeks later, let's yeah. grab a coffee. We had a two hour coffee. She's become this amazing mentor for me. And she said, look, I'm not a coach, but I do know people who can coach you and get you prepared for this sort of thing. Um, so she hooked me up with two guys, Jace Cronshaw and David Jones, who, um, yeah, coached me for the next 16 weeks. It was a hard 16 week block before the 50 marathons in 50 days. So they didn't have a heap to work with, but my training changed immensely. So it went from me thinking, oh, it's all about running long every single day 
And, you know, you, you just, your joints get so sore trying to run long every single day. And I was thinking, if I'm trying to do that for an event, that's how you need to do it in training. But it's not necessarily the case. These boys opened me up to, you know, heaps more strength and conditioning, like lots of strength work in the gym. Um, also hill sprints and tempo runs and fartlek sessions and interval sessions, mm. all different types of running that I've never done before with periods of really hard training and then periods of recovery in there. Because as I said, I was just running long every single day. There was no recovery happening and it allowed my body to yeah, get really strong and prepare for such a big campaign. So was there, so you had rest days. So was it four days of training, three days rest, or was it two days on, one day off and just like cycle like that? So my, even, even now my typical week uh, will look something like a Monday will be like a, a quality session. So it might be a tempo run, for example, and I might do three 8K runs at a really hard pace, let's say 80% um, with a two minute rest. And you'll do that. So three sets of eight Ks. Um, so it's a 24 kilometer session, but at intensity. And so tempo is that zone of sort of 70 to 80%. And it's often described as comfortably hard. It's like if you and I were running, we couldn't have yeah. a conversation mm -hmm. with each other, but we could, you know, say one or two words. We're really working in that tough zone, but it's a zone that we can sustain for a period of time. Um, so yeah, that was, that's like a Monday and that might be a Monday morning. I'll do that followed by leg weights in the evening. So it's a huge day. And then I'll have um, Tuesday as just yoga. And that might be a 30-minute session. And, I, I, and I'm always asking my coaches, am I doing enough? But they're like, yes, you have to have really hard training and then periods of recovery. And then the Wednesday would be a double day again. Uh, Thursday would be a light run. Friday would be often yoga and mobility again. And then a really long run on a Saturday and a recovery day Sunday. So you can see there's really three or four days of hard training with three days of recovery um, and allows my body to, to put out 80 to 100K weeks of training uh, with two to three heavy leg and core sessions in there as well. Um, and, and yeah, just I think the extra periods of recovery allow me to keep getting better. Mm -hmm. Is the yoga something that you've put in like yourself? Is that a personal preference in terms of uh, doing something instead of um, – like ice bath or saunas is that is the yoga in there for a specific reason yeah they program yoga my coaches they program yin yoga so yin yoga is where you hold a stretch for about five to seven minutes it's it's uh it is tough but um yes. it's meant to be you know really really good for runners because it can loosen up your muscle muscle fascia um and so like mm. it's definitely helped me i think yeah, I was, uh, like so many runners, taking yoga and mobility for granted. I think it, you don't get the same endorphins. You, you don't get the same amazing workout feeling that you do get when you've done a run or even a gym session. Um, but you've got to be diligent. You've got to do it. And I know I've listened to a couple of your podcasts now and you talk about Goggins. And if you've read Goggins' <laughs> book, how he talked about at the end, how he's, you know, he's his body was literally broken from a lifetime of training and not enough stretching. And it, it is so important. And I think running is a holistic approach that I didn't realize that you can't just run. It's running, it's strength training, it's yoga and all of that as well. With the stretches, is it, uh, with the yoga, sorry, is it targeted towards hips, like mainly hips and lower body or is it a full yeah. total body experience as well? Yeah. Yeah. Mostly lower body for sure. Yeah. yeah. Have you had any injuries uh, up to this point? your career 
Yeah, I have had some, but nothing too serious. Um, yeah. So, so 2019, I ran about, I think it was 4,000 Ks for the year, but that was the 50 marathons in 50 days. 12 weeks later, I raced across Bali, which was a 84-kilometer ultra marathon um, to put kids through school as part of the Bali Hope Ultra for the Bali Children Foundation, which was an amazing event. Um, 20 runners come together from around the world and to raise money to put kids through school. So collectively, we raised 165K, which put 460 kids through six years of school. And um, yeah, it was one of the best weeks of my life. So any ultra runners out there looking to give back and, and I guess use your passion for an amazing cause, um, that's one that I can highly recommend for a, an event for you. Um, did that one, followed that up just eight weeks after that with another 24 hour run. So it was a big year, 2019. And then I got injured. Wow. And, um, what happened was even though I was able to achieve 50 marathons, 50 days, I had never, ever been coached by a local running coach. So these coaches that I was talking about, Jason, DJ, they're online, they live in Sydney. And so they were just programming me, but no one had ever seen my running technique and I had that massive overstride, you know, I had the, the, um, was landing way outside of my body. I had a cadence of about 150 steps a minute. Like my technique was at a heel strike. It was very, very poor compared to how it is now. Um, and I think running technique is a very, very important factor. And, you know, I think any of your listeners that are wanting to get into running, save yourself time and, you know, health, you might not get injured by going to a running coach early, make those changes. One, you'll get faster. Two, you'll be able to run longer and it'll feel easier. And three, most importantly, you're less likely to get injured. So uh, I had a perineal muscle and tendon injury after my first 24 hour run, which look may have happened anyway. You are running, I think around 170 kilometers in that 24 hour period. Um, However, um, I think making changes with, with a local running coach, I haven't had many injuries since, and it's been pretty special. I want to get to that running stuff, but before we do, you had the 50, 50 marathons in 50 days, and then was it 12 weeks off, and then you ran an ultra marathon in Bali. Is, how do yep. you, like, well, for me, for example, for myself, after one running session, I don't want to run again for two weeks. How do you kind of, <laughs> you finish that, and then, is there a period of recovery and then get yourself fresh again to go back into the running? Because I guess you already have the base of training under your belt that you don't need to keep training at a high level. Do you come off the back of that or do you have to go through another period of a small block of training? No, you definitely need to keep up your training. Your training just, just changes slightly. So um, my coaches, I mean, they, they coach me in a way that's tailored programming. So Bali is about 2,000 meters of elevation as well. And so there's a fair bit of hiking involved. A lot of ultra running actually is power hiking. Um, and I want to quickly mention that because my first ever ultra was a 60K run before I had a coach. And I just, I think, you know, an ego thing. I was like, I'm going to run the whole way. No matter what, I'm running the whole way. There's people next to me hiking at the exact same pace as what I'm trying to run up the hill, but I'm exerting a lot more energy. And this guy's like to me, mate, just walk with me. Like I'm keeping up with you. And, uh, and I smiled at him and said, nah, I promised myself I'd run the whole way, but yeah, <laughs> hiking is a big part of it. But, um, no, I think, yeah, it's been, a like after the 50 and 50, I had about a week off and then it was back into it, but at a, um, probably the first week or so was at a reduced intensity. Um, and then it was picking it up again. It was maybe a, a higher intensity session, but lesser volume, 
Um, but definitely it was still a 12-week block um, to prepare for the Bali Hope Ultra as well. And then, so once you got your, your running coaches, was there, how do you kind of work through your running technique? Was it they video you while you're in training and then it was you go back and view the footage and they'll pick up pieces of where you needed to work on and then was there drills based on what you needed to work on? They do some of that now. Um, however, no, it, it is quite hard to change someone's technique mm. um, from an online uh, online platform. Yeah. I think when you when you're learning how to run with this like new technique, really ultimately you're unlearning what you know to then relearn. So it's a real process, and it's something that you can really only do face to face. So I just found another uh, lo- local running coach to me who was awesome and. Um, worked with her for about four months. And um, I don't think you even need to work with a coach that long, but obviously I'm very invested in my training and and I wanted to make absolute sure that this was going to be, you know, the best thing that I could do. And yeah, as I said, very few injuries since then, only very tiny things and uh, like bursitis in my foot and that sort of thing that is just joint inflammation. Um, but yeah, been, been able to, to do a number of feats since 2019. And We've spoken a lot about the training and recovery. How about your nutrition? Have you had to get any guidance on on what you need to fuel yourself for these training for the set for the training sessions and as well as the races? Yeah, definitely. Look, I work with a sports dietitian, Chloe McLeod. Uh, she is amazing. Verdi Nutrition Co. Her company is called, um, and she basically. I, I normally only work with her during events. So 50 and 50. I mean, if you're going to run 50 marathons in 50 days, you can't get your nutrition wrong because if you get that wrong, you know, the next day is affected. Um, and so like you've got to eat well, but also the big one is just making sure you're getting enough in. You're expending so much energy. You've got to be able to replace that. And so how do you replace that? Because I think anyone that, you know, listens to this, they don't even have to necessarily be a runner, but if you do a really, really hard training session and you haven't eaten anything um, sort of during that uh, and sometimes you get to the end of the run and you just, or or the event and you just don't want to uh, eat, like it's really tough. So for me, it was a conversation with her of, okay, I'm going to call that campaign Jog for Joey. So it was running at a slower pace than normal. So I could actually Mm -hmm. eat on the run and make sure that I could get a lot of volume in. And that'll be the same as, the 60 for 60 for 60 that's coming up soon. So I don't work with her on a day-to-day basis, uh, but I think I've learned a lot okay. from her when I work when I work with her in events and overall just, yeah, try and eat really well, lots of whole foods. So it's so crazy because especially in that, the, the 50, right, 50 marathons, 50 days, you, it's, it would almost be difficult to even plan like plan your your meals and then like if you finish a race and then cook something up and then have to race again the next day, was there lots of smaller meals, easy to digest foods in there to make it easier on yourself to not have to focus on on cooking so much? Or is this more about get the food in, recover, and then go out again the next day? Yeah, very much so. Um, I think a common breakfast I had, uh, basically just so I didn't get flavor fatigue, I, I alternated between two breakfasts. So one was a big smoothie and a bowl of oats, like porridge, which was massive. Uh, and then the other one was seven wheat bix and two crumpets before I run. So that's a big breakfast before you go out and run. But the idea being get a fair bit in early and um, you know take a little bit of time to warm up. So I would... 
the 50 and 50 was January 4 to Feb 22nd, which is obviously peak summer in um, in Australia at that time of the year. So I went really early. I just got into routine of waking up at about quarter to four, 4 a.m. and uh, would have a a big breakfast straight away and then give myself about an hour and start running about 5 a.m., 5.15 a.m. And I'd finish the marathon by... 9.15 or 9.45 a.m. So it was sort of each one was between four and four and a half hours. Um, And as I said, at that slower pace allowed me to eat along the way. So during the run, I'd eat about, I don't know, four bananas, two cliff bars um, and maybe two Gatorades. And that was during the run. And then at the end of it, come home, have four eggs on toast with mushroom, spinach, tomatoes, all that, and, and a big protein smoothie. So yeah, it's constant fuel. I mean, through those through the fifty days, was there a point of like mental mental fatigue? Like, how did you prepare mentally for that? You've had to have gone through. Surely, it would have been ups and downs and all all everything in between. Yeah, definitely. Uh, on day nineteen as well, I had a grade one tear to my VMO, so my right quad muscle, vastus medialis. <laughs> Um, and that was not ideal, but as I said, it was a minor tear, it was grade one. Um, but it meant that I had to get physio two to three times a day and, uh, and just strap it up with rock tape and slow down. So my marathons for that week blew out to about five to five and a half hours. I was very sore, sort of limping my way through it. But I, I said to myself, I'm going to do this no matter what. And, uh, and do you know, what's amazing, I think you know, it healed itself while I was still running, while I'm running a marathon at day, it came good. And, uh, marathon 25, I was back to about four hours 30 and I was like, here we go. So, um, it's amazing what can happen. And, but I think, yeah, that was the biggest challenge I had physically from a, from a mental side of things. Um, I think it was more, I actually created a, list of 10 reasons why I must run 50 marathons in 50 days and note the language there must and so I would look at this list every single morning and I think it's so powerful when you can have a very strong reason why and this is something that I share with students and and corporate people when I speak as as a keynote speaker with a strong enough why you will find a way and I had this list and it was like number one to honor my friend and teammate. Number two, to raise money and awareness for the Compassionate Friends charity. Number three, to unite my community all the way through to number 10, which was empower others to chase their dreams now. And so I would look at that list every single morning, which is why I can remember that so well. And that would just ultimately put me in that mindset to allow me to go, all right, here we go again. You know, yes, I know I'm sore. I know it would be better to roll over and go back to sleep or watch Netflix. But right now I'm going to get up and remember what this is all for and just go through the routine, start slow, build into it. Let's go. It's so it's wild because it's something that's, because you, you had to have something in there. Like it's a, almost an affirmation. So you had to put it in and say, I'm dedicating myself to this. How did you, if you realize that going in, that would be something that you need to do to, to kind of get through that. Yeah, I think I think when you're when you're really under fatigue, um, you know, whether that's as as an athlete or even you know in a work environment, like you've got a lot going on. I think that you have to have other things to inspire you, and sometimes it's easy to 
forget um you know goggins talks about that it's like that what's this reference it's the the cookie jar where you just forget how badass you are in his words of, uh, at time when times get hard and i think that's so true i think you know your mind spazzes out you want to quit and i think if you can have any form of um you know for me it was a list for you it might be quotes mantras whatever it is that can help bring you back to what you want to achieve and remind you of your reasons why i think it's incredible when you have a strong enough why you will find a way and um you know i think the desire for me to honor my teammate was over and above the the biggest thing and and you know i had a lot of his friends coming out and running with me every day so that inspired me it was like if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna see some of his teammates I've just got to suck it up. Some days it's going to hurt more than others, but let's do it. And ultimately you do enjoy the journey. I think when everyone um, does something that's hard, that puts them outside of their comfort zone, it also helps you grow so much. You appreciate it. And, you know, what an amazing opportunity where, you know, this is obviously 50 days in a row. We're talking Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I had people running with me every single day, like people taking time out of their lives to come and run with me. That's not something that I, take for granted so it was a a very special 50 days and yeah ultimately loved the journey as well which is what it's all about were you able to i guess listen to podcasts while you're running like what did you kind of in the actual the you know the five hours or the four and a half hours you were doing the runs the marathons were you able to like did you listen to music to get you through or did you listen to podcasts and use that as a motivational tool I did. Yeah, I did. So I would set up my day. So it would be like, Hey guys, uh, no, what what would I do? I'd post saying marathon 20 tick. These K's done so far. This, this, how many K's to go. Thanks to everyone who came out and ran with me today. Tomorrow I'm going to be running. I'll meet you at the Vermont football club at 8am when I might've actually started my run at 6am. So I might've already ran 15 to 20 K's by myself just to yeah, be in my own head and, and not listen to anything if I, if I didn't want to or listen to some inspiring podcasts, audio books or music. I just, honestly, I would just do what I felt I needed on the day. And so I would always say, you know, meet me around 8am, which was perfect for other people because most people don't want to be running at 6am either. Um, and it also gave me time to yeah go for that 15, 20 Ks by myself first. And, yep. um, you know, I would listen to, some incredibly inspiring uh, no, people like heard. Samantha Gash, who I spoke about before. I listened to The Iron Cowboy. Are you familiar <laughs> with The Iron Cowboy? Oh, mate, you will love him. He, I'm not even kidding. Whoa. Just just last year, ran one, oh, not even ran, did 101 full distance Ironmans in 101 days. So, yeah, he's like a world-class athlete in America. And, um in 2016, he did 50 Ironmans in 50 days. So here's me doing 50 marathons in 50 days. And I'm running and telling myself, come on, dig deep here. You're only running like this is, I know it's tough. I know it's 42 kilometers, but in four and a half hours, you're going to be done. You can recover. He's doing a 3.8K swim and a 180K ride on top of his run. So I think listening to those sort of, sort of so stories where, how about um, definitely helped give me inspiration and remind me that this is possible. Own. I know the stuff you have to do for uni, but do you like, do you have any books that you've used to help yourself, I guess, on the mental kind of aspect of, of the running? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm yeah. massive in the personal <laughs> development space. Um, I, 
I'm an audio book man. I can't sit still. So I find, find physical books really tough. Um, I could probably count on, on with my fingers how many physical books I've read in my life. But audio books, I try and get through one every two weeks at least. I, um, you know, between audio books and podcasts, I love them. I think there's so much value in them. And, you know, that way it allows me to listen when I'm running or when I'm driving. So, um, yeah, I, audio books, um, probably my favorites. Uh, yeah, David Goggins, as you spoke about. I know he's spoken about a lot. It's incredible. Um, and podcasts, I love Tim Ferriss. Um, Samantha Gash podcast is great as well. Yep. Um, and Kerwin Ray is another one I listen to. So not just all about running, not just in the athlete space, um, but I think in, in business as well. So as I said, I started my first business or my company first 42K, which was a year ago and um, or nearly a year ago. So the, the reason I'm starting the run on Monday, April 11 is that's first 42K's first birthday. And that's a very special day to me because everything is connected. So first 42K was built out of COVID, like everyone else being at home, bored and uh, in this hard Melbourne lockdown. And I had a lot more time on my hands. And I thought back to, you know, it was probably one of the first times in life I really sat back and reflected because I had so much time and all the people I've met, the journey of the 50 marathons, 50 days, the 24 hour runs, Barley Hope, all these things and, and what it's meant to me. And I remembered on day 49, I had three friends, Christine and Sarah um, run their first marathon with me. And it was incredibly special. And I thought that's something I want to do. I want to create a company to help other people run their first marathon. So I thought, well, how am I going to do this? That's not just, you know, that easy. Um, so I am a running coach. I'm a qualified a level two running coach. However, I also know that it requires a lot of work to set up a company. So I've got my own coaches who've helped me achieve all the feats that I have. They're business partners with me in first 42K. Oh, wow. uh, I've got my sports dietitian, Chloe McLeod, that I spoke about. She handles all the nutrition side of first 42K and my yoga teacher, Kate, handles the yoga and mobility side. So it's sort of on the face of the company and bringing um, my experts together in order to help others achieve their first yeah, right. 5K, 10K, 21K and 42K, their marathons. So we see it as a journey towards your first 42K and we wanted to we wanted to have it that way so that we're not neglecting mm. anyone. If you're just That's getting into running, we'll be able to help you like a hub get started. If you're already like a half marathon level, we'll help you accelerate you to a marathon. You have people can come in and they get they will have everything there. Like you, the nutrition, you've got the running coach, you've got everything there. All they've got everything there at their disposal to be successful. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, uh, as I said, I think it is a, it's a holistic approach and without all of the experts that I've been able to tap into, I wouldn't be the runner that I am. And uh, I ultimately, found it challenging because a lot of people see what I do and they're like, I want to run like you, you're, you know, you're a great runner. Does your coach take anyone else? Can he, can he coach me as well? And for a while there, I had to keep saying no. And it was annoying because he's a, he loves one-on-one -on -one. and like any one-on-one -on -one coach or personal trainer or anything like that, they're capped at how many people they can coach. But for him, it allows him to build those deeper relationships and tailor programming. And, and so I thought about it and I was like, well, if you're trying to, run 50 marathons in 50 days. Yes, mm. you need a tailored program. But if you're trying to run a marathon or a half marathon or a 10 or 5K, it can be a generic program where we're there with support. So we still have 
weekly accountability calls to help. Uh, so every every Tuesday night, me and the other coaches jump on a call to be able to support our athletes with whatever questions they may have. Um, but I realized that a marathon, yeah, a little bit more generic, we can build something that will allow more people to be able to access it and ultimately access his coaching, just not in that one-on-one way. Is there something that challenges them the most and what's the kind of advice that they need to receive or that they need to kind of get them through the first kind of of, uh, the roadblock that they encounter? Well, I think everyone has different roadblocks. So, you know, for some people, it might be identifying early what's their reason why. Like, why do you want to show up every single week and do a long run? Why are you going to commit to being uncomfortable? Um, That might be someone's roadblock. Another one might be that they've never done strength training before and all of a sudden they're being exposed to, you know, strength training twice a week. And it's like, oh, this is this is quite terrifying for some people. So um, there's a number of different roadblocks. It really depends on the athlete and their background, I guess, and where they're at, how old they are, their running experience, everything like that. But um, yeah, that's why we're, we're there and we have those weekly accountability calls so that we can support them, whatever their roadblocks are. On in your career. What was the, the biggest roadblock you, you encountered? Uh, well, my very first marathon, I want to share this story because it is a very powerful one. And look, hopefully through our chat today, we can inspire some of your listeners to delve deeper into their running. And, and if any of the listeners have any questions, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer them yep. on, on social media. But um, I, my first marathon, I hit the wall, which is very common, like everyone does, um, especially if you haven't done the the, the training under coaching and all of that. And I hit the wall at 38 kilometer marks. So it was actually a little bit later than when most people do. However, it was in the Melbourne marathon up around the shrine of remembrance and <laughs> it's a gradual climb. And um, this lady, so I started to cramp up bad when I say hit the wall, I'm thinking mentally I knew I was close, but I was like so sore. I had this, this cramp in my quad and I'm thinking, am I going to, going to be able to run another four kilometers? That is a long way. And especially with the, with the crazy cramp. Um, and what happened was, I'm not, wow. not exaggerating this in the slightest. This man, another runner, puts his hand on my back, starts pushing me up the hill, saying, come on, mate, there's four Ks to go. You've got this. And I said, I'm cramping up. I don't know what to do. And so he realized that I was low on sugar, something I didn't realize. Um, and so he ran over. There's this amazing mum and her kids handing out Zuba Dupas. And so... He gets me a Zubaduba, gives it to me. I smash it down, start to feel a little bit better. I, I sort of go over to this other lady, sort of walk over to her because I've still got this cramp, but I'm feeling a little bit better. Say, hey, that really helped me. Can I please have another one? She gives me another one, smash it down again. The cramp disappears and I finish the marathon. And so, you know, that showed me that running is ultimately a team sport. I think everyone says, oh, running is an individual sport. But when you hear stories like that, it just shows you the community behind running. And that's why I love running so much is, you know, it is, it is bringing people together. It's always them against them. Um, you know, every time you run, it's you against you. However, people also want to um, challenge you and get the best out of you. And that's also why I love ultra running. You're racing people. Like, yeah, I want to beat you when I'm racing you. But ultimately, I want you to finish the run and have the best run of your life as well. So it's a, it's a crazy community running. And uh, that story brings me a lot of happiness because 
it just, you know, I always think about it and I think had those two angels not been there, I may not have achieved that marathon. I could have gone back to playing footy. None of this might have, you know, might have never eventuated. So, um, yeah, and and uh, I'll finish the story by saying now there's so many races and, and events that I can sign up to, but the Melbourne Marathon, I made a decision that that's one that I'll never run in. Um, I want to oh. pay it forward every time. So the last few years since then, I've gone to that exact spot oh, and wow. I hand out Zuka Dupas to the runners. So that if they're, having, if they're cramping up, we can get them through. You said that's just a massive community. Um, even though it's such an individual sport, you're running and it's just you're in your own pain. But there's almost a shared experience because you all experience the same pain. You know, it's all different perceived pain, but it's the same pain. And that almost bonds you all together. And then it's a community of that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so true. And that's why I think, you know, I spoke briefly before about the Bali Hope Ultra doing experiences like that where everyone 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 runs their own race it's an 84 kilometer race across the entire island um so everyone's at a different pace and uh different fitness level coming into it and all of that however it's a community it's a it's a team goal we're all trying to raise as much money as we can for this charity and we achieve the run you celebrate every single single person across that finish line no matter what time they've done it in and, you know, there was runners who had finished their 84 kilometers and went out to run the last 3K with other runners to get them home. Like, it's just an amazing experience. And, and that's what running can do and the community can do. And I think when you can, um, yeah, come together at especially events, it's very special. Uh, one of my first 42K runners or one of our first 42K runners, she said that um, she'd run a, run a, few half marathons before didn't understand the attraction to events like why do you need to pay that money to go and do an event um just recently <laughs> did a half marathon event and said oh my god i've been missing out and just signed up to four or five straight afterwards so i think to any runners listening to this um sure, definitely sure. build up um, and and get to that, that level of being able to do events and you will absolutely love it has this challenge the four miles every four hours in 48 hours and you've done that correct yeah just Yeah, I have done that. That was that was probably oh, I, I've done one more race since then. But I was going to say that's the um, hardest thing I've done lately. So that was end of October last year. Um, but because I've done multiple twenty-four hour runs before and and all that sort of stuff, I sort of thought, with with all respect to the challenge, it's it's already you know a, a massive challenge. But I thought I want to push myself further. How can I do that if if the if the challenge is four miles every four hours for 48 hours i was like i know i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna get faster every single run so i started at a conservative pace and by the end so you do 13 6.4 k runs or, or four mile mm. runs so it's about 85 kilometers total over the 48 hours with broken sleep and all of that um, but i ended up really pushing myself and and really almost breaking myself my last jesus my last run the 13th run was at a 338 <laughs> uh, minute kilometer pace so i was flying like as hard as i could um and you know yeah so six did that around a track with a friend and each run was getting quicker so it wasn't even just that one the one before that at 350 mm. the one before that at 357 the one before that at 402 and the accumulative fatigue of trying to back it up 13 runs, very little sleep, 
And also it's really hard to do a proper warm up before the run because you're, you're trying to get as much sleep as you can in between. You've got such a small yeah. window. Let's say for most people, they might do that 6.4Ks yeah. in 45 minutes. Well, that gives you three hours, 15 until you have to run again. So if anyone, anyone not quite understanding that's listening, it's like my first run was at 4 p.m. My second run was at 8 p.m. My next run was at midnight. My next run was at 4 a.m. Next run was at 8 a.m. And I kept going like that until um, my 13th run was done. So I started at 4 p.m. on the Friday and my last run was done at 4.25 uh, p.m. on the Sunday after I finished that 13th run. So yeah, you've got a three, for most people, I'd say three hours, 15 or so in yeah. between, which you've got to eat, you've got to sleep. Um, and it was tough. You, you really can't do anything else when you, when you do that challenge. It's like, I've got to, this has got to be my sole focus for 48 hours. But I think if you're quite an accomplished athlete, if you've it's got the base underneath you, because it's an amazing challenge. That you have that will, uh, will definitely have a great impact fatigue, on your life. I'm sure. Because you can't sleep. You know, optimally, you know, you, you can't warm up, like you said, and then you have to make it, you have to turn it into a strategy, like how are you going to tackle it? And you got the, the sleep, the, you, the, I didn't even think about the warm up like you mentioned. And even for you, which would have been something um, completely different, it was that how you were increasing the time or increasing your pace every time. So it was coming shorter. Yeah. You had more time to rest, but then you were cooling down for longer periods. So it wasn't like you were able to, to keep warm. How? What was the biggest issue? Was the the, the fact that the sleep was that what caught up with you in the end? How did you? How were you able to keep keep the pace? Yeah, def definitely. It's definitely sleep, mate. It's oh, sleep is so important. I I so many people want to know what recovery techniques do you do, especially like talking about the fifty marathons in fifty days. Was it ice baths? Was it um, getting massages? Was it foam rolling? Was it stretching? What were you doing? And yes, all of that plays a part. And I did all of that. However, the biggest thing is sleep. And, you know, I made sure that I was getting eight and a half to nine hours a night when I was doing those, like you've pushed yourself so far, you need that sleep. And even on a, even on a, you know, everyday basis for, mm. For all human beings, you don't even have to be athletes. Like there is so much science behind that eight hours a night. Get that eight hours a night. And I know it's hard and it's easier to say than it is to do, um, but you've just got to prioritize it. Like you prioritize your work, your training, all that, because I think it just makes a massive difference. And um, yeah, so off that very little sleep, uh, it was very tough. And I think you wake up, you feel real fatigued. The hardest one for me, I think was... 4 a.m. Wow. on the Sunday. So what would have that been? That would have been, I think, run number 10. And then I run again at 8 a.m. Sunday, again at 12 p.m. Sunday, and then the last one at 4 p.m. But 4 a.m., that's obviously when most people are asleep. So you're in that quite deep fatigue um, state. And I remember I literally pulled up to the track. I was running with a friend. We ran that one around the Aths track. And um, I pulled up, jumped out of my car at 3.58 and we had to go at four because we wanted to do the challenge properly. So, you know, I just, I didn't get a proper warm up in and I was trying to get faster each run. So it was not ideal, but I was that fatigued. I couldn't get up. Um, you know, your alarms ring at 3.30 in the morning, but you've only gone to sleep at 1.30 in the morning by the time you've, you've tried to cool down and have a shower and eat after you 12 a.m. run so you get to bed at 1 30 a.m you sleep till 3 30 and you go again it's just 
it is mental. But uh, anyone that's up for the challenge, I think as long as you've got that work underneath yeah, you, <laughs> then I highly recommend doing it. Um, just be careful with the building pace. Uh, that wouldn't have been something that I you know, would have done if I didn't have the years of experience underneath me. And, and I want to mention that because even, even afterwards, I pulled up worse from that than the 50 marathons in 50 days. So the level of fatigue from the four by four by 48, I couldn't train for four days. Yeah. Tying my shoelace felt like a massive task. It wasn't muscular fatigue. It was CNS fatigue. Um, and so I think that is a, well, I mean, a, a really important that thing that before. people need to consider when it comes to these sorts of challenges. With now with the lack of sleep is when we have the baby, it's going to, you know, that's one of the things that most parents, they say the most is what kills you is the lack of sleep. And, you most parents go gray because well, gray hairs they get so fatigued because then you still have the cumulative stress of work and everything like that and then you have to come home and then there's the newborn baby you have to keep alive and it's that extra stress that adds up and you it's like the said central the cns fatigue drives it down it's almost crazy yeah. how that's the the hardest thing well like you know you couldn't get back to training as quickly as you could after the 50 50 marathons in 50 days it's it's wild because it's less but it's the sleep that you missed out on is what affects the body from recovering. And that's why it's so important. Is there anything outside of that? Like what's the hardest, the hardest race, the yeah. hardest race you've ever done? Yeah, so true. Hardest race I've ever done. Uh, uh, probably the Bali hope that I spoke about. Cause I went there to win. I literally put it all on the line and ran as hard as I could and, and, and thankfully did win. So, um, look, it is a charity run, but you know, it was me against me. I'm going to push myself to my limits and, and best I can be is something that I like, that's almost right. my mantra. Uh, I've only got one tattoo. That's the one on my forearm best I can be. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think that, um, it's just really important to me. It's, I feel like life is incredibly precious and that was highlighted through the loss of my friend. And while I'm here, I want to chase my dreams, do all the things that I love and be the best that I can be. And, and my goal is to help others chase theirs and be the best that they can be in whatever it is that they love to do, whatever field, just to achieve what is most meaningful to them. So I, uh, that race in Bali, yeah, I left it all out there. I was, uh, my next run was a week later. It was two kilometers. I was still sore. And uh, I ended up running that 84 Ks in eight hours, 13 minutes, which I think is about a 550 mm. average pace. Um, but over that distance and 2000 meters of elevation, um, it, the humidity of Bali, it was tough. But um, yeah, it was a, a race that I'll uh, forever probably, cherish yeah, and, and got to meet some amazing other, people and raise a lot of money and awareness so along the way. Because you're in a big field of people how do you kind of prepare to like you be you're ultra competitive right so how do you go into a race with so many people and not be, like not be able to live with not coming first if that makes sense do you do you go in and say i'm just going to go on and beat my time and not worry about the end result Yeah, that, that's all you can do. Absolutely. I think, you know, I did a run, um, two bays, 56 K ultra earlier this year, and I was absolutely stoked. Could not wipe the smile off my face. It's a 56 K run, which is about 1400 meters of elevation through trail. And a lot of it, a lot of it's single trail. So it's not as if you're running on, 
like I find road running where you've got that concrete and you can, especially if you've got those, you know, amazing carbon plate shoes that everyone's got now that, that feedback, um, trail running is tough. And I did that in five hours, seven minutes came 16th out of about 200, 250. And I was absolutely stoked. And, um, I remember talking to another person after the run that day and he was pretty upset and, you know, he beat his previous time. He beat his personal best, but he didn't beat his friend that he expected to beat. And I just think it's such a dangerous, um, mm-hmm. I guess, trap that people fall into. And it's really tough. Like you can't do any better than the, you can't be any better than the best you can be. And so that's something that I, I live by. And I think, you know, on that day in Bali, for example, the best I can be happened to be winning that race. But in two days, it happened to be coming 16th. In other races that I've done, it's it's coming 12th. Whatever it may be, I think as long as yeah, you are big, getting the best out of yourself, then I'm happy. And, and I think most runners do live by that. And I do a bit of martial arts as well. There's always that one-on-one fact that you're competing against another opponent. And then you always want to get one up on that. But when you've got, I don't know how many people in that field and it's such a open race, so many different levels of people that are racing and experience levels as well. And even on the day, like how good you are on that day can vary so much. It's very hard. So I guess if you go in with a specific goal and even if you go in to beat that goal, you're a winner at the end of the day. Mm. Absolutely. And because I think you could... Like if you keep training, you're going to level up, you're getting better and better, but then you're going to verse people who are at a high level. You know, you may be a a ultra runner, um, I guess while we're talking about running, that is dedicated, putting all the time that you have into that outside of work and, and family. But there may also be, you may be versing people in the field who that's their job. They're a sponsored professional ultra runner and that's, you know, how they earn a living. So if you get to that level where you're versing those sorts of people, it's sort of like, well, at the end of the day, like it, we have very different lives and uh, I'm, as long as I get the best out of myself with the time that I have available, then that's all you can do. And so I think, um, you know, I'm not, I haven't really raced anyone like that yet, but I know that people that do progress to those extreme races uh, like UTMB and then races like that, they, um, you know, that would definitely be a challenge. I think a lot of people would face, but I think whether you're a, uh, um, you know, a tradie or, or you're doing something more like a running coaching, which isn't as physical of a job, but it's still, it's still work and, compared um, to, to the, um, someone that's a full-time athlete. Like it's a very run. different kind experience. Of people on the spot. So don't be too, too concerned. It's if you were to have dinner with any four people, who would you choose and where would you go? That can be, yeah, you're on four guests. You can, that can be dead or alive. Any four people. So me and four guests. Dead or alive. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've heard of Tony Robbins. I yeah. think I would say Tony Robbins. Uh, do you know Tony Robbins? He is a, yeah, Tony Robbins has had a profound impact <laughs> on my life. And I think a lot of people may know Tony Robbins listening to this. A lot of people might not. He's not a runner, surprisingly, but um, I think he's helped me. He's he's helped me tap into that mindset of what's possible. Um, it was, uh, I didn't mention it before, but in 2017, early 2017, before we went on to win the grand final, before we, before I ran that first marathon, I was in a pretty tough period of my life and struggling after the loss of my teammate. My mum took me over to 
the, to America to see Tony Robbins. And it was a life-changing experience and, you know, truly did help me tap into a mindset of what's possible. So um, definitely Tony Robbins, uh, I'd say Goggins. <laughs> I think everyone loves Goggins and the same sort of thing, I think has helped me see what's possible. And, and um, you know, I think it would just be an amazing person to meet. And then my two brothers, uh, I'm very close with One them. The I want them to well, experience to uh, meeting those boys as well. Is that, you know, you're so young, you don't, you know, not a lot of people work, go through that when they are so young, they lose, you know, a friend that they hold so dear. Was that, you know, who, who did you kind of lean on? Like, was there, you know, you obviously you were struggling, your, your, your mum knew, obviously saw that you're struggling and able to go to see Tony Robbins. Were you, did you feel alone in that stage? Like it wasn't really someone you can kind of lean on and, and share that experience with? Yeah, I think, I guess because footy clubs are so tight and that's what I do love about, you know, that footy club culture or any team sport for that matter, um, we were all leaning on each other. I think we were all doing it tough, but we were all very open, vulnerable and shared where we're at. I mean, that, that's just something that you never expect to, to happen and you can't fathom how it can happen. Um, so I think we were all just, yeah, there to support each other and it was catching up with your mates more frequently, go for a kick, go for a run, get a coffee, um, always call someone and, you know, check in every day. So I think COVID taught people that like as, as hard as the lockdowns were, and especially in Melbourne, um, you know, the amount of people I saw on Facebook put a big smile on my face that would say, Hey, if you can do anything today, just call one friend because you don't know, you know, who needs it right now. And, and it was just those sorts of things. I think we all came together um, got that support from each other. And then, yeah, my mum recognized that it was more so when I say I was feeling really lost, like outside of the feelings of sadness, which I could then connect with my friends, it was more, I felt a loss of direction because you, all of a sudden you think, how can this happen? I'm 18 and this has happened. Like, you know, could this happen to me? What if I went to bed and this happened? And you start to have that, I guess, fear and paranoia. And um, I, just sort of felt really lost when I, I feel that one of my strengths and one of one of my, I guess, things I'm very grateful for is that I've always had a really clear understanding of what I want. And that's why I think it's easy to go for them because I've, I've really scoped out what I want. And, you know, I, I think that we don't know the how, the how reveals itself along the way, but I know what I want and why I want it. And when I was in school, I was like, I literally left year 12 and I'm like, I'm going to um, come back, be a PE and outdoor ed teacher. I'll be teaching at this school. I'll see you in five years after I've been at uni. Uh, I'm going to play footy for the Vermont Eagles for years to come. This is what I'm going to do. This is who I am. And when that happened, the loss of teammate, it was that real loss of direction. And I think going to Tony Robbins opened me up to a completely different mindset and what was possible. And he shared a story of a guy called Stu Middleman who in like the early 2000s ran across America and my mind was blown because this guy was an ultra runner. He was running distances sometimes of up to 85 kilometers a day. And I just could not comprehend that. I didn't know that ultra running existed. I thought the furthest people run was, was a marathon. I was a footballer at the time. I'm sitting there thinking this bloke is a predisposed genetic freak. And uh, that one thing that Tony does is, he does a firewalk at this Unleash the Power Within. So you have to walk barefoot across burning hot coals for 
five meters and the old the i guess idea the purpose behind that right. is it's not about the firewalk it's a metaphor if you can actually walk mm. across fire then what else can you do what else can you do with your life and what limiting beliefs are holding you back and i um as i said then went back played footy found that i wasn't loving footy as much believed in myself that i could run a marathon because i thought i run a 15k uh, fun run the year before. I've just heard a story earlier this year about a guy who ran across America. If he can do that, then I can run a marathon. And that sort of gave me the belief. And then that first marathon ultimately played out how it did, as I said, with the the runner and the girl with the Zupa Duper. And it just made me fall in love with running. And so it's all connected. But I think, you know, Tony Robbins has had such an impact on my life and impacts so many people that uh, he'd be definitely one of my, oh, one of my guests <laughs> at the like, dinner table. Especially around your life. There's always that little bit of part of someone, you've always, someone's helped you and then you're always willing to give that back. Like going back to that Melbourne marathon and you're always going back to Zupa Dupas, the same spot where you received yours. And even you, you've done charity fun runs and you, there's also you've raised a lot of money charity as well with your running is that that is that where you kind of connect it back to always it was always a sense of purpose and giving back to the community mm-hmm. yeah i think you know i have done some races as well where there's no charity involved it's just go and and be the best you can and have it have it have fun um which was you know the two bays 56k that i spoke about earlier this year that was just a race for me i've done more races like that as well but i think when i tend to do big campaigns and big events i like to connect it to charity because i think you know we've all got I, i truly believe that everyone's got something that they're strong at and for some people it's just trying to find that thing and you know i share that message in schools like you will have something that you love and that you're good at and if you haven't found it yet that's okay i didn't start running till i was 19 and look what i've done in the past five years so i think um that's a a really important part of it and yeah as i said something that i share with others but um uh mate uh, well, I'm right. actually, um, I hope you can edit this part out. Giving back to the community I've and a like your story of your life has always been around like the Tony Robbins. Well, happens to the best of us, so it's all right. So, oh, kind of shit. Little, sorry, mate. Start that beginning. <laughs> so, your whole story, your one of the kind of connecting factors, always about giving back, especially about that story about that lady who gave you that Zupa Duper. And now you're always going back to that same point in that race and giving the Zupa Dupers out to the other races, other racers. Sorry, is that like something that always fact big key factor for you about giving back to the community of of racing? Yeah, I think, well, for me, I think that I, I love running so much and running is a strength of mine. And I think if you can connect what you love to do and what you're good at and use it to help others, then then that's what you should do. Like I truly feel that, you know, I have this strength in me, which is running and I love it so much, then why wouldn't I use it? to help other people and especially if other people are inspired by what i do then it just makes sense to connect it to charity and i truly believe that everyone's got something that they're great at and that they love and when they find that thing then if you can use it to help others well we know that when we help Mm. others it puts the other person in such an amazing mood it also also puts you in an amazing mood and and it's just the the best thing you can do so yeah there's definitely races that i um run where I, i don't have a charity involved sometimes it's just go out there be the best I can and, and race myself. Um, but when I, 
like to do big campaigns, I yeah, love to connect it to charity. And, um, and yeah, as I said, I think running is just my thing and I love it so much. If I'm There's strong at it, then let's use it for, for a good purpose. Gives- okay, cool. Oh yeah. That, so in terms of first 42 K that was, that was it. I think, yeah. Helping those people run their first marathon and that feeling was so special. And that's what made me want to take it to another level and help people with their own running. Uh, I've always loved to inspire people to chase their dreams. And I've been working as a keynote speaker since 2019, which was really natural progression after the 50 marathons in 50 days. I just, there were schools around my area that heard about it, that followed it and said, Hey, come and tell your story. We want to inspire our, our students. So um, that's part of it too. But I think, yeah, running specifically and really helping people with their running that was born out of COVID. And so as hard as COVID was, and you know, it was a tough time, not going to uh, undermine that I think you know it also there's positives if you look for them and one was it gave me a lot more time with my family which I cherish and it also allowed me to build first 42k moving on to the the fun fun part is the accessories of running how many pairs of running shoes do you go through it's a good question um I am very very lucky very fortunate um I'm very I'm sponsored by ASICS so I've been an ASICS Australia ambassador for two years now. And uh, so thankfully don't need to buy my shoes and, and have quite a lot of them. I think I've got currently <laughs> about 20 pairs in my cupboard and I, uh, I rotate them um, depending on each, depending on the session. So if I'm doing a, a trail run, I've got ASICS trail runners. Yeah, if okay. I'm doing a speed session, I've got, you know, the, the Metaspeed Skies or, uh, meta races some fast shoes if i'm doing a longer <laughs> run i'd go for more the glide rides that um more support and uh, a little bit more mm. cushioning so yeah very very lucky but i think on the cans to melbourne run which is so soon you know i'll be having probably taking probably six or seven pairs away for that 3700 kilometers yeah wow uh, we spoke about that before the start of the podcast but, but sorry before the podcast started just want to give a bit of a uh, lead into where that start or how that kind of came about and what you're racing, what you're racing for. Yeah. So this run is Cairns to Melbourne, 3,700 kilometers and calling it 60 for 60 for 60. And what that means is 60 kilometers on average per day for 60 days to raise $60,000 for make a wish. And, you know, this is a huge, huge journey I'm very excited for. And it's one that I've been ultimately training for since that first marathon. Um, but I, I truly believe that I'm ready. And, you know, the amount of work that I've got behind me and for an amazing cause, I think I've gotten so clear on what I call my purpose in life. I truly believe my purpose is to help others chase their dreams and be the best they can be. And I think through me chasing my dream of doing this big run, I'll be helping sick children, Make-A-Wish kids achieve what is most meaningful to them and achieve their dreams. And whether that is to get a puppy, whether that's to go to Disneyland, whether that's to run with their favorite AFL team, um, through us raising money and awareness, we'll be able to make that possible. That's awesome. Is it all kind of the same? Like, How do you kind of strategize the race? Is it you kind of... Are you running the same pace? Is there certain periods um, you have to run faster or slower? And then maybe on that second question, do you like? Is there a route? Like, have you planned a route out, or is it something that you have to do on the go? 
Yeah, we do have a route, definitely. And I guess strategy-wise, it's all about uh, breaking it down. So, I mean, something as big as that, it's not something – when I did the 50 marathons, it was go out, do it in four to four and a half hours. Whereas this, I'll probably run 20K, stop in the motorhome. So I've got a motorhome with me, trailing behind me. Um, stop for 20 minutes, have a smoothie, have a rest, maybe, you know, foam roll, then go again and then stop, have lunch. And then, you know, you might even have a little nap mm. because you're so fatigued doing this day in, day out. And then you go again. And so it'll be around 60 Ks average a day, but it'll be with lots of stops, lots of breaks through that period to be able to make it possible. And the route that we've got is, um, yeah, mostly the East coast. So very excited. Like the first, 25 days or so is just on the A1 from Cairns to uh, the sunny coast and then, you know, along the Gold Coast and around, yeah, right down the East oh, wow. Coast and, and then even finishing um, running via like Marindula, Pambula and through Victoria that way. So all around the coast and then Bairnsdale, Sale, uh, Maui. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing these towns right for anyone listening that, that is living there. And then, yeah, ultimately finishing back <laughs> in Vermont. So finishing out the Vermont Football Club, which is, you know, a very special place to me. It's it's where my running journey started, I guess, um, because that's where I drew, grew, I guess, uh, found so much inspiration through my teammates. So it's a place where people can gather um, we can celebrate together. They can run, the, you know, the last little bit with me if they like. But um, that's the plan. Finish there and oh, yeah. and uh, yeah, and raise as much money and awareness as we can for Make a Wish. That's awesome. I mean, I guess you've done so many of these big races before. You kind of that kind of gives you the confidence to go out and do this. Do you prepare mentally, like for an aspect where it's going to get challenging, and to kind of I guess visualize challenging moments in that racing push through do you kind of see it that way or do you picture it going smoothly and getting it done that way that makes sense you have to you have to visualize both i mean you want it to go smoothly of course but there's every chance you're going to get a quad tear on day 19 um there's every chance that you have a yeah foot injury achilles whatever it may be and then how do you manage that? What do you do? What's the, I guess, plan in that instance? So, um, you know, it's visualizing the, I guess, outcomes that are possible is really important, whether they're positive or negative. And that way it's going to prepare you to be able to handle them in that, in that moment. And I think like we spoke about with Goggins and the cookie jar before, if you can already have that, I guess, mental edge by having visualized what may go wrong, it just prepares you to be able to handle it when something does go wrong, because I think to put your body through 3,700 kilometers, you know, I said before 2019, which was a big year for me was 4,000 Ks for the year. That's 300 Ks more than what I'm attempting to do in 60 <laughs> days. So when you break it down like that and you understand how big this is, I think, you know, there's every chance that something's going to happen. Um, no matter how much strength work training you do beforehand, um, you know, we're not invincible and we're running, you know, what, 420 kilometer weeks, like that is massive. So something may happen. And, and I think if you can prepare yourself for it, then you're just better able to, to keep going when the going gets tough. Is, are you doing any kind of like a live stream or a live tracker? So if people at home are, are tuning in, can tune in to see how far you're running or how fast you're going or where you are. Is there any way to track it? 
Uh, we're we're going to have live tracking, I think, available to support crew only at this stage. It's something I'm still talking to. Like all the – so we had to get permits from Vic Roads, New South Wales Roads, Queensland Roads, all that, and, and the police as well. So oh, yeah, something yeah. we'll talk to them about. But, yeah, I think um, it will be on Strava. People can see the run at the end of the day once it's uploaded. We'll be posting on social media every single day right. as well. Yeah, so the best place to follow you would probably be on your Instagram, right? Is that correct? Yeah, Instagram. So that's just Sean Bell underscore underscore. But if you if you search my name, it should come up. Oh, perfect. That's awesome. How do you? That's crazy. Your name and underscore. That's it on Instagram. So lucky. <laughs> Not even I can get that. Yeah, well, I tried to get Sean Bell, but I uh, couldn't. <laughs> Someone already had that. So anyway, <laughs> Sean Bell underscore underscore. But if you search Run for Wishes as well, it will come up as well. Awesome. And before we finish off the podcast, I'm sure you might have seen from other ones. We've got Uncle Frank's final question of the day or of the podcast. And we've changed it up. So I'm not sure if you've listened to some of the older ones, these newer ones. He's got a whole bunch of questions in a hat. And I'm going to pick one out or I'll shuffle them up and I'll pick one out and I'll ask you that question. How does that sound? Sounds great. I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> haven't done anything uh, like this. Picking one. It's all right. These ones aren't that bad. I won't put you on the spot too long. All right. You ready? Oh, this is good. Yeah. It's not, hasn't been asked before. If you could switch lives with any one person for a day, who who would you choose and why? I reckon Hugh Jackman, just because he is the GOAT. I love Hugh Jackman. Oh. I think anyone that can act, <laughs> sing, dance, do it all like Hughie can. Uh, and he's also just, you can see he's a, just a real gentleman and family man. So that's something I admire and love about him. And uh, yeah, I'm a big Hugh Jackman, greatest showman fan uh, to any of the listeners out there who like a musical as well. <laughs> yeah. He is, he is, you almost forget how he can, is a musician and he's, you know, an act, no, actor, but he does plays as well. He's a very multifaceted, multifaceted actor. It's everything, isn't it? Yeah, just a special, special guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. So one last time before you close off the podcast, where can we find you? How can we um, support your run for wishes? And where can we find the, uh, was it the first 42K, the business? Yeah, awesome. Thank you, mate. So if you want to follow me um, on Facebook and Instagram is Sean Bell. If you search my name, it will come up. Um, that's S-E-A-N for Sean, by the way. And with um, Run For Wishes, if you'd like to <laughs> donate to Make-A-Wish, that's runforwishes.com.au. And if you'd like to run your first 5K, 10K, half marathon or marathon and get that coaching and support from uh, experts, well, we are at first42k.com.au. So, uh, mate, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to come on here and, and share my story and hopefully give some inspiration to other people out there, not just runners, but people to go and chase their dreams in whatever field they are in. No worries, mate. I appreciate you 100% and I'm sure that anyone will be able to get something out of this podcast. So thank you very much again and uh, thanks everyone for listening to the show. Thanks, Matt.